He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am John Johnston, founder and fearless leader of CornNation.com, your Nebraska Cornhusker site of despair. So it seems kind of early in the 2020 season after two games and it's almost the middle of November. This episode, we are talking with Dustin Hawkinsmith of PennLive.com. Dustin covers Penn State football, and the Nittany Lions are currently 0-3 with a close loss to Indiana, a blowout loss to the Buckeyes, and I don't know how to describe what happened with Maryland. So, Dustin, what the hell is going on with Penn State football? There are so it's a long list of issues to try to get through. And I think that's probably the most troubling thing for people who follow this team is that there's not one or two quick fixes anywhere. You can look at any number of positions, virtually every position group on the field, uh, the coaching staff as well. There are four new members of that staff. Uh, The energy that they've started games with or the lack of energy that they've started games with. Uh, up front in the trenches on the offensive and defensive lines. I mean, those are, have been some of the bigger disappointments, I think, through three weeks. So I think there's disappointment up and down. And now they're, they're challenged in this situation as you're in the middle of the, the season grind. You've got six days to try to really focus on yourselves and shore up all the um, you know insufficient performances that you've seen up and down the roster and then also gear up and game plan for this Nebraska team uh, Two winless teams two traditional, you know, I, I guess powerhouse could describe both of these teams, but two traditional college powers who are really trying to find themselves. It's an interesting situation, isn't it? it I, I wouldn't use the word interesting, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I, If you're a fan of either one of these teams. Yeah. The fan base in Nebraska is a little bit, uh, you know, they go outside with pitchforks and torches, except you're not really supposed to gather in large groups and things like (laughs) that. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it eliminates some of the, some of the pitchforks, some of the angry villagers. They're limited right now. I guess it's the plus of the situation. I go around and I look, you know, I, I follow the big 10 and I follow their fan bases too, because the whole psychology of fan bases is interesting to me, but it looks like Penn state's fan base. They would have pitchforks and torches too right now. What's the feeling toward James Franklin and his staff? Well, I, I think there's a there's a degree of angst, and there's there really are multi. I mean, there's multiple factions of every fan base, but there are there are reasonable fans who kind of understand that from 2014 to now. I mean, this has been one of the better stretches stretches in recent Penn State history, especially all things considered. When you know 2014, 2015, they're still very much dealing with scholarship limitations that came from the whole Sandusky scandal, and and all the the position groups that had been depleted and the amount of time it takes to build them back up. So I think, especially from 2016 onward, there is some good faith with the reasonable fans. But ever since James Franklin got here, there is a faction of fans, a small faction of of people who have never really accepted him. And then every time there's a botched game time decision, you know, in-game decision, it's not really his strength as a coach. I think anybody from the outside and the inside can recognize that not really his strength as a coach. And it's a very visible weakness that he's trying to overcome every time something like that happens. Like for example, Indiana fourth quarter, 
you can run out the clock with a first down and said the running back scores a touchdown. You know, how, how much of that can be laid at James Franklin's feet might depend on who you ask about that. But every time you have a high profile, you know, botched game clock situation, yeah, people who are kind of calling for his head. But I think most people understand uh, that you're in the weeds right now. But you also have some reason to believe that this coach and his staff can pull through that because he's offered a lot of examples over the past three, four years. Okay, Indiana, I I watched that, you know, I like Penn State football. I mean, we've been around together for a long time, Nebraska and Penn State, ever since you cheated like hell in 82. I'm old. That happened when I was in college. I rioted. You know, whatever. It's in the past. Right. (laughs) But... (laughs) I watched the Indiana game and you kind of could look at that and go, okay, it was the starting game. It was a little lackluster. The two point call pretty iffy, but it went Indiana's way. Ohio state, they're a juggernaut. You kind of went, okay, can Penn state keep up with them? And they really got smoked early and then made scored late and made it look decent. Yeah. And then this last game with Maryland, I told my buddy that I work with, nah, you're going to kill Maryland. And then, what happened with Maryland? I obviously they have a quarterback with a yeah a name and they scored and what what happened with Maryland? I think you've painted a pretty good accurate picture of Penn State so far. It's not that they get a pass for Indiana, but you come out of Indiana saying, you know what, three turnovers, we get 10 penalties for 100 yards. I mean, those are kind of uncharacteristic things. Uh and and you know, on the stat sheet, Penn State was, was in control of that game. So you can look at that and say, you know, you, you can get not give them a pass, but you can understand that. Ohio State, as you mentioned, that that was not going to be a win no matter what, uh, no matter how they played. But Maryland really was the the big one where they're on their heels. It's 21 nothing. You know, it's 7-0. They make it look easy that first drive. They run a a pretty simple crossing route. Uh, The kid takes it 42 yards. One of the biggest recruits in modern Maryland history, Rakim Jarrett, um, maybe can help spur this turnaround that that they're hoping to go through. But they run the same play a couple drives later, and this time it goes 62 yards. The same exact thing happens. Uh, Penn State may be on their heels a bit. Uh, maybe not ready to play. Maybe they've relied on this home crowd more than they've realized over the years. They're playing in front of an empty stadium too. So there's been a lack of energy in all three games, really, and some mistakes. Uh, But defensively, I think that's where it was most disappointing for, for the Maryland game. Uh, it's a good quarterback. It's a, it's a pretty good offense, but they should not be getting the number of chunk plays that they got on this Penn state defense. So it's, it's back to the drawing board for them too, because even in Indiana, you came away thinking, okay, Penn state's got a, a couple good corners. The safeties have been pretty much invisible for, for three weeks. The linebackers have been invisible. Um, and then on the other side against Maryland, Getting no push up front, this veteran Penn State offensive line against the Maryland defense that had been that had been gashed in, in the run game. I think that was another big disappointment is they couldn't establish that at all. They couldn't push, they couldn't block in the pass game, gave up, I think, six or seven sacks in that game. So, you know, up front was supposed to be a strength for this Maryland or this Penn State offense. The fact that it hasn't has been pretty discouraging. Uh, quarterback play, again, I think all three weeks they've been outplayed by the other team's quarterback. It's hard to win like that, too. Okay, quarterback. Sean Clifford is not Trace McSorley. Let, let's fair. start there. Yeah, fair. <laughs> fair. 
Um, I think in in some ways, Sean Clifford might have more physical talent than Trace McSorley did. I think he runs a little bit better. He's he runs in the in the low to mid four fives in the forty. You've seen him do some good things with his feet. Um, I've seen him flash being able to throw a very nice deep ball. I've seen him flash throwing some accurate, you know, short and intermediate stuff. But more often, I've seen a quarterback who uh, gets a little frazzled when there's some pressure and maybe sees some ghosts once in a while, maybe takes his eyes down too quickly, maybe bails, maybe doesn't see the whole field as well as he should. That's what they're working through at the quarterback position is not physical stuff. It might be more mental stuff. It might be more poise, composure, better decision-making. And really the question is, and they're at this point now of how fixable is this? Is he too far along to fix? Is this situation still salvageable? That's where they're at. And I think maybe Nebraska, there are some, some similar questions that have been happening over, uh, in the early part of this year. Oh, we can't go to Nebraska yet. <laughs> okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay, starting quarter or starting running back, Journey Brown is out, Yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. And from what I've seen, there's no nobody even close to Saquon Barkley, but honestly, there's nobody close to that in a lot of places. But there's no like blow the field away, cut up the field, I'm gone guy. Uh, running back I, I, has been kind of not very good. Yeah, I, I mean, that's an accurate way to put it. Uh, it it'd be interesting to see look, if Journey Brown was playing under these conditions, the rest of the offense was still a little bit of a mess. The offensive line wasn't getting much of a push. He would be more successful. Uh, how much more successful, I don't really know. And then you have the other dynamic. Okay, you, you go to another guy in Noah Kane who had got some very valuable experience, some meaningful game reps, played a very important role when he was healthy last year. So you go to him and, okay, it's not the worst thing in the world. Then he gets hurt in the first series um, against Indiana, and now you're going to Devin Ford, who at one point was a five-star prospect. He's a sophomore. But how ready was he for prime time? That was thrust upon him. And, and now you lose two running backs, and now you have two true freshmen who are very talented uh, in Kevon Lee and Keziah Holmes. How ready were they to move up to their respective roles now too? The running game became quite a mess early, and, and the couple injuries had something to do with that. But physically, again, you have guys who are capable of doing the job. I just don't think that they were ready yet, and I don't think they were the types of backs, um, certainly with a lack of experience, to make up for deficiencies up front. They haven't been those guys. So the, the lack of a push and the lack of readiness from this group of running backs to kind of step into prime time, it's been a, a perfect storm, I think, of factors. So receiving, you've got John Dotson and Pat Fryermuth. Fryermuth has to be one of the best tight ends in the nation, but he's only scored one touchdown so far this season. 16 receptions, 197 yards. I mean, is, he, is his production about where you'd think it'd be, or is it kind of drug into the ground because of this malaise all over? I think um, with Fryermuth, you were hoping to see – elite production he is he scored more touchdowns than any tight end in penn state history 
Um, and he's got that. And he is a very valuable red zone weapon. Um, I think his, his relative lack of production, and you say lack of production with a grain of salt, I think. I mean, he's having a nice start to the year, but we haven't seen him make the leap to dominance. I, I personally think that has more to do with what's around him than him personally. He's still a player that Nebraska very much has to account for and game plan around stopping. Uh, they are a work in progress, you know, in, in the receiving game across the board. Jahan Dotson uh, has stepped into that number one role much better than I thought he would. He is a more dynamic player than I thought he was going to be even this year. We saw it in flashes before, but to, to look at what he did against Ohio State, one-on-one coverage with Sean, Sean Wade, making unbelievable catches up high. So he, I did not see this guy who's five foot 10 and 180 pounds being the throw it up and he'll make a play for you guy and he's emerged as that uh elsewhere you've seen a true freshman by the name of parker washington scored two touchdowns last week again he's five foot ten and 205 pounds he looks like he's going to be a player for penn state he's shown flashes he's been a starter in all three games uh beyond those two guys at the wide receiver position they're looking for bodies and they're looking for a spark they've got some guys who've been around for a bit um we haven't seen a a a certified number three option emerge. And I don't think you can really say they have a certified number two option in Parker Washington, although he looks promising. Okay. Defense at the beginning of the year, I, before we started, I, I did a podcast interview with black shoe diaries guys. And I joked with them. If I remember right, that since Micah Parsons was gone, the whole defense would fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) The defense Again, has not again. It hasn't looked good. What's going on on the defensive side of the ball? I, I think there are ample issues to to get into. I think you know they Penn State struggled in the second half of last season defending the pass, and the big question was what have you done, whether that's from a personnel or a coaching standpoint, to try to shore up that gigantic weakness. Uh, they said all the right things. Um, I think personnel wise, I feel like they should be as good, if not better on the back end of this defense as they were before. Uh, the safeties haven't made an impact. Like I thought they would Lamont Wade is a senior Jaquan Brisker is a senior. Both of these guys are pretty talented, uh, capable of making game-changing plays. We haven't seen any game-changing plays from these guys, really. Lamont Wade had an interception in week one, but they have been not as big a factors as I thought. At the cornerback spots, um, this is a good name for you guys to watch, is Joey Porter Jr., who's a redshirt freshman, uh, has will be starting his fourth game. Very talented player, 35-inch arms. You know, the, the son of Joey Porter, who played for the Steelers and Dolphins. Uh, is going to be a good player. Tariq Castro-Fields is a senior on the opposite side. They had some issues last week uh, against Maryland. Those two crossing plays that, that I spoke of before. So they've got to get it together. Uh, the linebackers, you know, I think this is one area where you really miss Micah Parsons. Uh, they have some guys who are disciplined, but the guy who stepped into Micah Parsons' starting job is a junior by the name of Jesse Lucetta, who was gearing up to compete for time at the middle linebacker spot. And now you have him on the weak side, which, you know, you go from Micah Parsons, who is a rangy, aggressive, can make up for being out of position. You know, he's just such a physical freak that he was making game-changing plays on a regular basis. That's not really Jesse Lucetta. Um, they're okay in the middle. Brandon Smith is a true sophomore. He's six foot four, six foot five, 240 pounds, seven foot wingspan. You know, he's a talented guy, former five star. 
he hasn't really shown up and popped on tape either. So underperformance and a kind of an understandable, we just lost the, one of the best players in the country in Micah Parsons. And then the pass rush, there's a lot of sizzle there, but there hasn't been a lot of stake in the, in the pass rush with, you know, Jason Owe projected as a potential first round pick. He's a redshirt sophomore, physical freak, Shaka Tony, uh, one of the fastest get-offs that you'll see in the Big Ten. The production hasn't quite met uh, the the um, uh, the upside there. So I think, I mean, in all these situations, it's it's all across the defense. And then I think coaching too. I don't. I haven't seen a, a whole different approach from the one that was, you know, as Brent Pryor, the defensive coordinator, said was too vanilla in the second half of last year. I haven't seen a whole lot of chocolate to go with that vanilla either. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the cliches, man. I'll give I do, you that. man. I'm, ma- I'm making them up as I go, too. Okay, when I when I was preparing for this, I noticed that Nebraska or Penn State is seventh in the Big Ten in total defense. Nebraska is eighth, and Penn State is seventh in total offense in conference. Nebraska is eighth. When you look at Nebraska, what worries you? Being the unbiased Homer guy you are for Penn State. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I mean, this this is a team that maybe you can say collective back against the walls, got, got a little fire to them, looking to make some kind of statement, right? You know, through all this stuff with the COVID situation, you know, I, I think if we're calling a spade a spade here, Penn state in a lot of, in a lot of positions is more talented than Nebraska is. There's still a little bit of building going on. Penn state has recruited well. Um, and, and most of the, for the fruits of that recruitment looking at 2018 and 2019, probably James Franklin's best two classes. Um, recruiting has faded a little bit, which is a whole different story. Um, so you've, you've got a lot of former four-star five-star types for Penn state, the talent edge, I think, is there, but you know, Nebraska, you just don't know when you have when you have a team that's got a little desperation to them, how this Nebraska team is going to look, how they're going to respond uh, this Saturday. I don't know the answer to that. I think this is going to be a messy game, personally. I think you know it was kind of messy against Northwestern for you guys. I think it's going to be a little bit sloppy, a little bit messy. There's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some some things. It's not going to be the most watchable football you've ever seen in your life. Um, but I think that probably favors Nebraska to to an extent. So who who do you think should start for Nebraska, Luke McCaffrey or Adrian Martinez? Because we have to ask. I ask the people at Target that question when I'm right. checking out. I'm like Luke or Adrian. What paper or plastic? What do you want from me? You know. Uh, describe for me the the usage of these two guys a little bit more. Like I know that they've both been used, especially last week. But how how are they going about um, divvying up snaps between these guys? Well. <laughs> Adrian has been the starting quarterback against Ohio state. We saw Luke come into the game at the same time with some special packages and he was explosive against Northwestern. Luke McCaffrey did not see the field until almost the third quarter was over. And the explanation was, well, Northwestern was taking away whatever he could do, which you kind of go, I don't, I don't know how to process that. Like what? Yeah. You had four get four plays they could run together on the field. Adrian was struggling. You couldn't have just swapped him in. And then toward the end of the game, Luke McCaffrey came into the game. He didn't score any points, but the offense looked like they at least moved the ball. They had a little bit more spark. I I don't know what is going on with how we're playing some of our players, but 
it's yeah. very confusing yeah. to me. And I, I think this situation is exactly what James Franklin was trying to avoid with his own quarterback situation this past week. A lot of people wondering why did we not see the backup when Sean Clifford is six of twenty one you know, early in the third quarter against, against this Maryland team. Why are we not trying something else? And I thought he didn't want to make a big statement. He didn't want to get into this mess where, where you're, you're trying to figure out how you deploy both quarterbacks. Now, what I would say would be um, you can't be, you can't go one dimensional against this Penn state defense. If this Penn state defense, if you're not able to pose a threat uh, through the air, for example, and they're able to kind of bear down on the running game, even if you've got a talented running quarterback, that would swing the pendulum into Penn state's favor. What I would say is, all right, let, let's throw both. Let's throw two very different looks at this Penn State defense, and let's make them adjust because they've shown through three weeks they're not really making adjustments until the second half of games. Let's come out and let's let's show something aggressive. Let's get a little tricky with this, and let's make them adjust to us. See if they're able to adjust to us faster than what they've shown. You know, especially now that they're going on the road. So that would be my expectation: is that 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 there's going to be something unpredictable with the way that that Nebraska deploys these guys. There, there's been like zero downfield threat. I, I don't know if that's because Adrian Martinez won't throw the ball downfield because he's afraid of interceptions, but there's been like nothing. Their strongest, biggest, most explosive plays have been quarterback runs where one of those guys just decides, ah, I'm running. Yeah. No downfield passing whatsoever. There, there could be some success in that. Like you saw, you know, those, those, I keep coming back to these crossing plays for, for Maryland. You saw pursuit and tackling and those two plays and since in some other plays where if you're getting to the perimeter, if you're getting to the edge, if you're getting to the, the, the second level of this Penn state defense, there is a chance to, to break some plays open. Penn state has to show above all else. If, if Nebraska is not going to be able to stretch the field and make you defend the entire field, uh, it's going to, it's going to benefit Penn state, but they have to show that when, when passes are completed, six to eight yards downfield that they can limit these plays to six to eight yards. That's the one big question. And I think for Scott Frost, you want to try to let, let's see if these guys can wrap up that might play in a Nebraska's advantage. If you're able to maybe complete some passes short in some space and see if these Penn state defenders can tackle because they couldn't tackle last week. And I think we'll see similarly. I think we'll see if you can get Adrian Martinez to the edge, if you can get him in some space, can Penn State tackle? That's something in a week they're going to have to turn around and do a much better job of doing that. And I think Nebraska, if they they'll sense that vulnerability and see see if Penn State's fixed that part of their game. Have you watched much college football? I mean, all around this year. The first few weeks I did more so than once the Big Ten started up. Once the Big Ten started up, I got a little bit more hyper focused on on Penn State and the Big Ten. But I, I did watch, uh, and it was nice. I mean, to, to get the late start and be able to have the whole Saturday is was kind of nice for a while. So I did get a, I did get a chance to see most of what I would call the contending teams. Is it? Would you say that defense is just optional? this season for some reason social distancing no tackling and practice lack of practice there's just no defense anywhere i i think that's true and it's really interesting because if you would ask most coaches under normal circumstances in the middle of camp who's ahead at the beginning of camp which unit is ahead at the end of camp which unit is ahead it's almost always the defense isn't it 
So yeah. now we have, you know, all these disruptions and stuff and, and maybe the, the way that they've practiced kind of narrowed that gap, but there's, I don't, is it a coordination thing? Is it a, a lack of um, time or the lack of pad time to be able to focus on the fundamental portions of it? I don't know what, what deficiency specifically there's been across the country, whether that's fundamental stuff or scheming stuff or preparedness, but I think you're right. I think that's one area I did not see coming is that that defense has, has struggled to keep up with offense. Yeah. It's his, the whole virus situation. I'll ask you a question about Penn state. The environment is it, how is the virus? How is Penn state, the university and their student body? Because I do care about, you know, what happens to people. How yeah. are they dealing with that? How's it going in Pennsylvania? Penn state and center County were problematic for a while leading up the weeks leading up to the season. And then it seems like the university and the community there have done a better than better job than I thought they would, you know, relative to other college campuses of eliminating or, or minimizing the behavior that causes the spread of this minimizes the behavior that 20 year old college kids kind of disregard. And that was one thing, you know, how do you account for that variable of trying to get, 20 and 21 year olds to follow these rules when it comes to the whole reason they're in college in the first place. So Penn state's done a pretty good job after Ohio state, they had to kind of uh, publicly scold some large gatherings. Uh, but man, you're not going to drive that down to zero on and around college campuses. Are you like that? That's just, it's a lot to ask. And you saw it Notre Dame Clemson last weekend. They made the decision to let some some students in and the, let some fans in, and then they pull off this monumental win. They, they weren't prepared enough for, for typical college behavior, I think. Yeah. Would you like to make a prediction? I, uh, I, I made one. I, I, I don't, I don't really enjoy doing the predictions because it's, you're, you're so wrong so often. I've got it at 24-23 Penn State wins this game. Uh, they, they go into it as favorites. <laughs> I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be yucky to watch. I don't think it's going to, you know, I, I don't see, you know, Nebraska fixing all that ails this team in the span of six days. I don't think see Penn state fixing all the problems that are pretty deep rooted in all areas of this team in six days. Uh, I, I, I've got my prediction as, as talent winning out Penn state does something to fall ass backwards into a win in this game. <laughs> Oh, I want to go 24, 23 too. But the thing about this is, is when I do predictions, I base them on my feelings and hope. And, and I really, you know, it's really nasty running a website when everybody that you never see comes in and comments on the website. You never see these same people until things get really crappy. And then they're there to like go, ah, I told you everything was full of disease and foul air. And, yeah. You know, I, Listen, I know I I know I owe you guys a prediction on your site, but uh, I'd I'd probably go. We're gonna score thirty-two to thirty, Nebraska. There you go. All right, uh, you could you could tell me just about anything that that will transpire this weekend, and I, and part of me will believe it. So you got you really go with your gut and try to figure out you know who's the cleaner football team in this game. I don't you know we'll we'll see what happens. I, I think Penn State's gonna gonna pull it out. And by the way, I was gonna say. Um, hate clicks count the same as love clicks. All right. And there, there's always going to be, you know, the faction of the base that can't wait to pile on. They love their team, 
but they also love to hate their team when things are going bad. And uh, Nebraska fans have been through a lot <laughs> and, and they did, however they want to try to consume what their team is doing by all means, go for it. Wow. Okay. Should we end there? I'm usually, I usually end like driving a car off a cliff. I'm let's not, just, I let's, need to get better at my endings. Let, let's do this Thelma and Louise style. We'll hold hands virtually and we'll fly off this <laughs> cliff together. Okay. This has been John's post-life crisis. We're going off the cliff. You guys have a good weekend. Remember what Luke McCaffrey said, see how bad I am. I'm just driving and now I hit the brakes. Luke McCaffrey said it was a blessing to be on the field. Keep that in mind, Nebraska fans, because this year sucks. And maybe it's just a blessing this weekend to be able to watch Nebraska play Penn State. There you go. Go Big Red. Thanks to Dustin for joining us. Y'all take care.